This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hello, and here we are again with another edition of our exploration of Namkapel's mind training like the rays of the sun. I hope your week has been fruitful, prosperous, and happy. Last week, in an effort to show that our relationships change from life to life, we investigated a few cases of people who remembered past lives, sometimes within one particular family. This was in response to an instruction in mind training like the rays of the sun that says, subjugate all the reasons for selfishness, which led Namkapel to comment, we should suppress every instance of attachment and hatred that gives rise to exaggerated prejudices about friends, foes or strangers, the attractive and unattractive. This is because worldly phenomena in general are unreliable and relations between friends and foes in particular are uncertain. And he quoted Nagarjuna, saying, Your father becomes your son, your mother your wife, and your enemies your friends. The opposite also takes place. Therefore, in cyclic existence is no certainty at all. Now the next in this series of slogans under the heading The Irreversible Commitments of Mind Training, explanation of what appears in the text as verse, is train consistently to deal with difficult situations. Remember that mind training like the rays of the sun is a commentary on another text, the seven points of mind training. And so this slogan comes originally from that text. It's a bit odd that there are two sections under the heading The Irreversible Commitments of Mind Training and there are an explanation of what appears in the text as verse and an explanation of what appears in the text as maxims. I think the slogans we are going through must have been in verse and the original text, but that has got lost in translation, and what we have now is a set of maxims or slogans much the same as those that appear in the next section. So don't get confused about what is verse and what is maxim. And then before we get into the meaning of train consistently with difficult situations, let's bring to mind our motivation for participating in the program, as we usually do. I recently read an article on www.psychologytoday.com by Dr. Jim Taylor on motivation. It's entitled, Personal Growth, The Desire to Change, and it has something to do with dealing with difficult situations, because part of the process of change entails the uncomfortable practice he calls the grind. This is what Dr. Taylor says. According to the research of Dr. Anders Ericsson, motivation is the most significant predictor of success. In simple terms, Dr. Ericsson found that experts in many walks of life, whether sport, music, chess, dance or business, had put in the most hours at their craft. He coined the phrase, it takes 10 years and 10,000 hours to become an expert. Other research has shown that the longer someone is in a career, the less important innate ability, i.e. intelligence is, and the more important motivation becomes. In other words, the most successful people just keep plugging away longer than others. Why is the relationship between motivation and success so robust? Because high motivation will ensure total preparation, which will in turn ensure maximum performance and results. The same concept of motivation applies to making changes in your life. 
The reality is that change is difficult, because in all likelihood you've been the way you currently are for a long time, and your habits are deeply ingrained. Your ability to find and maintain your motivation for meaningful and long-lasting change will ultimately determine whether you are able to break long-standing habits and patterns. Let's first consider what motivation is in very practical terms. Motivation can be defined in the following ways. An internal or external drive that prompts a person to action. The ability to initiate and persist towards a chosen objective. Putting 100% of your time, effort, energy and focus into your goal attainment. Being able to pursue change in the face of obstacles, boredom, fatigue, stress and the desire to do other things. The determination to resist ingrained and unhealthy patterns and habits. Doing everything you can to make the changes you want in your life. But it's one thing to saying you are motivated to make changes and achieve your goals. It's entirely a different thing to have that motivation translate into actual action towards those goals. Motivation is so important because it impacts every aspect of your efforts at change. And then Dr. Taylor lists the various stages in which to keep the motivation going. These are preparation to make the changes, patience in giving yourself time for the changes to occur, persistence when old habits and patterns resist your efforts, perseverance in overcoming obstacles and setbacks, lifestyle that supports the changes, ultimate achievement of the desired changes. He goes on to say that every person has a different motivation driving them to make change. He says, the motivation matrix breaks down motivation along two dimensions, internal versus external and positive versus negative. The resulting four quadrants can each provide motivation but will produce different experiences and outcomes. The first he lists is internal positive, which includes challenge, desire, passion, satisfaction, self-validation. The likely outcome of this is successful change and fulfillment. Then external positive means recognition and appreciation from others, financial rewards and so on. The likely outcome of this type of motivation, he says, is some change, partial fulfillment, because of a dependency on others for continued change and good feelings. The third quadrant is internal negative, driven by threat, fear of failure, inadequacy and insecurity. The likely outcome of this kind of motivation is some change but a possible relapse. And finally, the external negative quadrant includes fear of loss of a job or relationship, insufficient respect from others, financial or social pressures, pressure from significant others and an unstable life. This kind of motivation will likely lead to some success with a high risk of relapse. Obviously, Dr. Taylor says, the ideal type of motivation is internal positive because the motivation is coming from a place of strength and security. At the same time, there has been research that has shown that many successful people are driven to achieve their goals by insecurity, suggesting that an internal negative or external negative motivation can lead to change, though rarely happiness. Which quadrant do you think you belong to? he asks, and suggests that if you're not in the internal positive quadrant, you might want to re-evaluate your motivations and work towards that place in the matrix.
He continues, All else being equal, whatever you put into your change efforts is what you will get out of them. The problem I see among many people who say they want to change is a disconnect between their efforts and their goals. People say they really want to change, but their efforts don't reflect that stated motivation. What this tells me is that there's often a gap between the goals many people have and the effort they are putting into these goals. It's easy to say that you want to change. It's much more difficult to actually make that happen. If you have this kind of disconnect, you have two choices. You can either lower your change goals to match your efforts, or you can raise your efforts to match your goals. There's no right choice, but if you're truly motivated to change, you better make sure you're doing the work necessary to achieve your goals. And then he talks about the hard part of making change, what he calls the grind. He says, the difficult nature of making changes means that you will likely be putting in an effort that will take you far beyond the point at which it is inspiring or fun. This juncture is what I call the grind, which starts when actions necessary to produce meaningful change become stressful, tiring and tedious. The grind is also the point at which your efforts towards change really count. The grind is what separates those who are able to change from those who are not. Many people who reach this point in the process of change either ease up or give up because change is just too darn hard. But truly motivated people reach the grind and keep on going. Many self-help gurus will say that you have to love the grind. I say that, except for a very few hyper-motivated people, love isn't in the cards because there's not much to love in the grind. But how you respond to the grind lies in a along a continuum. Loving the grind is rare. At the other end of the continuum is, I hate the grind. And if you feel this way, you're not likely to stay motivated to change. I suggest that you neither love nor hate the grind. Simply accept it as part of the deal in striving towards a better you. The grind may not feel very good, but what does feel good is seeing your efforts pay off with the changes you want. Finding the motivation to change means maintaining your efforts consistently when it would be easy to give up. It involves doing everything possible to achieve your change goals. Motivation to change begins with what I call the three D's. The first D stands for direction. Before you can begin the process of change, you must first consider the different directions you can go in your life. You could continue your life as it is now, make immediate and dramatic changes, or take a slower route to change. The second D represents decision. With these three choices of direction, you must decide on one direction in which to go. None of these directions is necessarily right or wrong, better or worse, they are simply your options. Your choice will dictate whether you make changes in your life and the amount of time and effort you put into those changes. The third D stands for dedication. Now, once you have made your decision, you must dedicate yourself to it. If your decision is to make significant changes in your life, whether quickly or slowly, then this last step will determine whether those changes are realized. Your decision to change will then become a top priority in your life. Only by being completely dedicated to your direction and decision will you ensure that you have the motivation you will need to achieve your change goals. And that is Dr. Jim Taylor, 
adjunct professor at the University of San Francisco and the Wright Institute in Berkeley, a former U.S. top 20 ranked alpine ski, ski racer and the author of 15 books. In terms of Buddhist motivation, of course, we have to take an even longer view because we are unlikely to become an expert even after 10 years and 10,000 hours of practice. His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, our ultimate success may come after many, many lifetimes, and so our motivation has to be extremely powerful and resilient. We have to keep our motivation and the benefits of our practice foremost in mind and remind ourselves again and again why we are following methods like the mind training practices. It helps to remember that the benefit will help not only ourselves, but countless others as well, and not in any small way. How would you feel if you knew you directly helped others to free themselves from all suffering and gain enlightenment? Imagine helping someone in a really difficult situation. Then afterwards they come to you to say something like, I'm so thankful to you. What you did for me changed my life so much for the better and now I can cope where I couldn't before. Wouldn't that be just about the best thing that could happen in your life? So if we can include this in our motivation, not only are we helping ourselves to keep going, but also setting ourselves up to be of enormous benefit to others. But let's do it in an ultimate way, not only to help others in their difficult situations of this life, but in all their lives until they can be completely free of suffering altogether. Of course, this is a massive motivation, an almost impossible seeming thing. But nothing is stopping us from motivating in this way, even if we are only making an aspiration rather than any concerted dedicated effort. Slowly our aspiration can work on the deeper levels of our consciousness until such time as we are really able to put such a motivation into action. So let's at least try this motivation for the program today. Thank you. Now that's a bit of a long time spent on motivation, but let's now return to Namkapal and the mind training like the rays of the sun. Under the slogan, or what he calls a verse, trained consistently to deal with difficult situations, he lists five of the most difficult of these kinds of situations. He says, Firstly, since even slight misbehavior towards the three jewels, your abbot, spiritual master, parents, and so forth, who were all very kind to you, is extremely serious, you should be careful not to lose your temper with them. Secondly, as there are many op opportunities for disturbing emotions to arise in relation to the members of your family, because you live with them all the time, this requires special training. Thirdly, you should train yourself particularly in relation to everyone, whether an ordained or lay person, who appears to be your rival. Otherwise, when even a small misfortune befalls them, it may create satisfaction in your heart. Fourthly, you should make a point of training yourself in relation to those who accuse you when you have done nothing against them. Because there is a risk that, as the saying goes, if the fire of hatred burns, the moisture of compassion will dry up. Fifthly, you should pay special attention in your meditation to those people, the mere sight of whom, or the mere sound of whose names you dislike, even though they have done nothing against you. Because of this, there is a great danger of becoming angry with them. 
Now let's start with the first one, anger towards those closest to us, such as parents, spiritual master, and so forth. If we are ardent Buddhists, then of course the three jewels, the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, will also be close to us. The teachings say that whatever we do with those karmically close to us has greater repercussions than what we do with any others. So it's important that we act carefully around such beings. Criticizing or becoming angry with your guru is regarded in Tibetan Buddhism as an extremely serious downfall, resulting in a hell realm rebirth. But also, in the filial piety sutta, the Buddha said that the virtue of the kindness of the parents is boundless and limitless, and being ungrateful and unfilial towards one's parents is especially heinous. Because Tani Sairo, teaching on the lessons of gratitude on www.accesstoinsight.org, explains it like this, first quoting the Buddha from the Anguttara Nikaya. The Buddha said, I tell you monks, there are two people who are not easy to repay. Which two? Your mother and father. Even if you were to carry your mother on one shoulder and your father on the other shoulder for a hundred years and were to look after them by anointing, massaging, bathing and rubbing their limbs and they were to defecate and urinate right there on your shoulders, you would not in that way pay or repay your parents. If you were to establish your mother and father in absolute sovereignty over this great earth, abounding in the seven treasures, you will not in that way pay or repay your parents. Why is that? Mother and father do much for their children. They care for them, they nourish them, they introduce them to this world. But anyone who rouses his unbelieving mother and father, settles and establishes them in conviction, rouses his unvirtuous mother and father, settles and establishes them in virtue, rouses his stingy mother and father, settles and establishes them in generosity, rouses his foolish mother and father, settles and establishes them in discernment. To this extent, one pays and repays one's mother and father. Bhikkhu Tanisaro says the debts of gratitude apply to parents, teachers and other benefactors who have acted with our well-being in mind as they've gone out of their way to help us and have taught us valuable lessons about kindness and empathy in the process. He says, Now the debt you owe your parents for giving birth to you and enabling you to live is immense. In some passages, the Buddha recommends expressing gratitude for their compassion with personal services. And he quotes the Itivutaka with this, Mother and father, compassionate to their family, are called Brahma, first teachers, those worthy of gifts from their children. So the wise should pay them homage, honor them with food and drink, clothing and bedding, anointing and bathing, washing their feet. Performing these services to their parents, the wise are praised right here and after death rejoice in heaven. Bhikkhu then comments, However, Anguttara Nikaya 2.32 shows that the only true way to repay your parents is to strengthen them in four qualities conviction, virtue, generosity and discernment. To do so, of course, you have to develop these qualities in yourself as well as learning how to employ great tact in being an example to your parents. As it happens, these four qualities are also those of an admirable friend, which means that in repaying your parents in this way, you become the sort of person who'd be an admirable friend to others as well. You become a person of integrity 
who, as the Buddha points out, has learned from gratitude how to be harmless in all your dealings and to give help with an empathetic heart, respectful in a timely way and with a sense that something good will come out of it. In this way you repay your parents' goodness many times over by allowing its influence to spread beyond the small circle of the family into the world at large. In doing so, you enlarge the circle of their goodness as well. He goes on, This principle also applies to your teachers, as the Buddha told his disciples. So this is what you think of me, the Blessed One, sympathetic, seeking our well-being, teaches the Dharma out of sympathy. Then you should train yourselves harmoniously, cordially and without dispute in the qualities I've pointed out, having known them directly, the four frames of reference, the four right exertions, the four bases of power, the five faculties, the five strengths, the seven factors of awakening, the noble eightfold path. In other words, concludes Bhikkhu Tanisara, the way to repay a teacher's compassion and sympathy in teaching you is to apply yourself to learning your lessons well. Only then can you spread the good influence of those lessons to others. Now obviously, if we develop and hold on to anger towards those who have been kind to us, we are creating a great deal of difficulty for ourselves and them, and we are certainly not controlling ourselves to show the gratitude that their kindness demands. So the mind training exhorts us not to allow the mind to become angry with these our benefactors. However, we live in the West, and I found interacting with many people from the East that we have a very different attitude towards our parents than the traditional Eastern one. From an early age, we feel entitled to judge and criticize our parents and feel let down by them. Often, many of us feel our lack of success or happiness lies at our parents' door. On the website tinybuddha.com, Michael Sosnowski has written an article on forgiving one's parents that exemplifies what I've just said. Prefaced by a quote from Robert Brault that goes, If you cannot forgive and forget, pick one. This is what Sosnowski says. I used to hate my parents. I despised them. I blamed them for most of my issues. I couldn't do what I wanted to do in life because they would disapprove of it. I couldn't be a cop or firefighter because those professions didn't make enough money. I could only study a major that would be beneficial in getting me a job and not one that they thought was pointless, such as psychology or sociology. I hated my dad for never being there when I was a child. I hated him for always getting angry with me and yelling at me and making me go to my room to cry by myself. I hated my mom for not sticking up for me. I hated her for not sticking up for herself when my dad would yell at her. I loathed her for her laziness and blamed her for my own because she didn't teach me to work hard on a task and to persevere through the tough times. For a few years I felt this intense dislike of them and never told them. My anger kept building and building. And you know who had to live with it and deal with it? I did. I smiled happily towards them and the outside world, but inside I was dying a slow death. Dwelling in anger and hate is like drinking a poison that slowly destroys your insides and kills you. There's a reason why the Jedis in Star Wars say that anger and hate lead you to the dark side. The reason is because it will eventually cause you to lash out and cause damage to the people around you. And that's what happened to me. 
my facade of happiness crashed down upon me after a few rough weeks during my junior year of college. I had a meltdown and attempted suicide. Most people will not act as extremely as I did, but that doesn't mean their pain isn't any less than mine. I see others who carry lifelong anger and hatred towards their parents because of their childhoods. It's a burden they carry with them, and they cope with it in different ways, whether it's through addiction, working too much, or something else that slowly erodes their insides because they failed to address the anger and hatred there. I struggled immensely after my suicide attempt. That first year, though, when I, was when I started to realize something that would change my life for the better. Anger and hatred mainly affect the person holding them because they are the one who destroys their life and relationship because of it. You don't forgive for others' sake, you forgive for your own. When I realized this, I started on the long journey that is forgiveness. I wish I could say it, it is like the movies, but it isn't, at least not in my experience. I have found that forgiveness takes continual effort over weeks, sometimes months. It's something you have to consciously do every time your anger arises. Your anger and hatred fade away over time as you consciously reframe your thoughts and feelings to ones of forgiveness. I started by first writing in my journal about what my parents didn't give me when I was a child. I don't mean things, I mean love, affection and guidance. And then I started to give myself those things. And then I learned how to see things from my parents' angle and to have compassion towards them. I realized that their parents didn't give them all that they needed. I saw that they were just trying their best and they were human like me, which meant that they had flaws and made mistakes. I saw that they were every bit as lost as most of us are at times because life has no guidebook. I saw the little child within them. As I started to forgive them, I became warmer towards them and appreciated them more. I started to say I love you to them and surprisingly my dad started to say it back. He had never really said it to me before. I eventually had a semi-movement moment with my father after months of working on myself. I told him that I hated him for the longest time, that I know he was just trying his best and that I forgave him for his mistakes. I told him I understood that I was an adult now and was responsible for my future and myself. My relationship with him changed dramatically after that moment. It isn't super intimate, but it's better than it ever was. My father has said, I love you to me, without me saying it first. We smile at each other and have made each other laugh. I've been come close to my mother after forgiving her. I trust her and confide in her about the struggles I go through. I'm so grateful to have her in my life. I love them both very deeply, and none of this would have happened if I didn't learn to forgive. Learn to forgive others, if not for their sake, for yours. I have learnt that, as I change for the better, so do all of the relationships in my life. That is Michael Sosnowski. I will continue to talk more about this next time, but now our time is up and we must say farewell. Thanks very much for being with us today. And please join us again next week. Please dedicate as we've motivated to gain enlightenment to benefit all beings. Thank you and goodbye. 
For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.